now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble on drum. Beat out old trouble on drum. Beat out old trouble on drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au, five on your AM dial. And if you miss some of the program, don't despair. The program is podcast. Now, where's Dale, Andy? What have you done to her? I don't know. I'm not sure. She just messaged me and I said, yeah, right, eh? No worries. She just messaged you to come in. Yeah. I'm I'm shocked. And you, you just you just do what she tells you. It's been a while do. since. I've yeah, done I know, I know, but so. you just do what she tells you, do you? Oh, that's she's, because she's the Empress Dowager. She's nice. She's you nice. Know, oh, she's nice. I'm not. Hard Fair to enough. say Thank no to. I don't think. Look, look. If I could operate the panel, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> but that's not going to happen. You know that. Thank uh, you for coming in and no taking worries. Dale's place. And I'm pleased you didn't have to be gender reassigned to be here. Oh, me too. <laughs> actually, now we have a very special guest. Robin, vote. Hello. Hi, Joe. How are you? Very well. well Bit tentative that I have to talk for an hour. Or you can do most of the talking. No, no, no. This is an interview. Oh, you right. do the talking. I ask the questions. Okay. okay. You don't. Uh, you don't answer the questions. Andy gets the cattle prod. All right. It's can I simple. ask you questions in exchange? No. Oh. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. Oh dear. Andy, does it work that way? Do the guests ask the interviewer questions? I think the guests should be able to ask questions. I think so too. We don't know enough about Joe, really. We no. Don't know. <laughs> I may do a Don Burke, you never know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah, me too. Now, Robin, mm-hmm. we only ask two questions during the interview. Mm-hmm. And the one first one takes about... 12 seconds to answer, mm-hmm. and the other one takes 54 minutes and uh, 48 seconds. Oh. So you ready for the first question? Yes. This is just to orientate people. Okay. Uh, what year were you born? 1946. 46. So you're a vir- virtual youngster. Yep. You're a septuagenarian. Yes. Good. 1946. A war. End of the war, baby. Uh, very much so. Oh. In fact, my father was still at war when I was born. Really? He must have had leave. Nine months before that, yeah, yeah, yes. He must have had leave. Apparently. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's more than apparently. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> so where were you born? In Melbourne. Where in Melbourne? Number 7 Collins Street. 7 Collins Street? Yes. 
What was your mum and dad doing at Seven Collins Street? No, my father was overseas and my mother was living with her parents throughout her troublesome pregnancy with me. At Seven Collins Street? Yeah, my grandfather had owned Seven Collins Street. It wasn't Mm -hmm. such a grand thing in the... Well, it was pretty grand, but... um, He was a dentist and the family lived on the ground floor with several lodgers. Lodgers, yes. Some of whom were quite eccentric. Yes. And then my grandfather was on the first floor with Mm -hmm. his surgery. Yep. And He was a a dentist too? Yes. Right. Everyone was a dentist. Everyone was a dentist. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a dentist, are you? No. Okay, good. So he was on. He lived on the third floor. Or he worked on the third floor. His grandfather. He lived on the ground floor. Yep. With the family. With the family. Yeah. Where was grandma? Oh, she was there too. She was too there. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was quite a. Oh. She was quite an interesting woman who yeah. took to her bed when she was, oh, probably late forties and fifties. And now I feel really sorry because I'm pretty sure she had rheumatoid arthritis. Right. But yeah. in the day. Yeah. Everyone just said, oh, she's got rheumatism, yeah. and she took to her bed and lay mm. around, and I used to sit on the end of the bed and brush her yeah. hair, which it's was lovely. very long. I adored my grandparents. Why is that? Ah, well, I lived with them for mm-hmm. probably the first three years of my life because my mother, who was also a dentist, um, set up a practice in Brighton, mm-hmm. and... She was very busy because my father was overseas right. at war. And what, then what was he doing? I know he's at war. What uh, he was in the army. Right. Um, his brother was in the air force, mm-hmm. and um, his other brother was in the navy. So right. they had the the triple treat. So did the other brothers come back? No. Um, the brother who was killed during the war was awarded the Victoria Cross. Cross. What was his name? William Newton. Oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, my father came back mm. so traumatised, my mother said rather nastily afterwards, because nobody understood PTSD. No, or no. His brother had been beheaded mm. by the Japanese right. and um, was deemed a hero. And all my father really talked about after the war was his brother. Mm. And was, right. he couldn't get out of bed, according to my mother, without sipping a whiskey first. Right. So she kicked him out. Uh, so How old were you when this happened? Um, probably 18 months to two years yes, old. So you'd have no recollection. Oh, yeah. I renewed my relationship with my father much, much later, actually, right. when I was 21. Right. I didn't see him. You didn't see him. That was just... Oh, no, no. I Until I was about six, I... Um, visited him every weekend and he was quite a showy sort of character with a black Riley and I'd sit in the little seat at the back and we'd wend our way down the Esplanade and towards Frankston because his other brother, Jack, had a farm and a family and I loved going there for weekends because they had ponies and there were two cousins and Mm. but my father stopped at every pub along right. the way, and I'd be left in the car. Tuffy, right. the window was rolled down he, a bit. Oh, well, who cared in those days? <laughs> no, you didn't. That's no. right. Yeah. So you remember that quite clearly. Very clearly, yeah. Right. So what time did you get to Frankston? Usually night time. Night time, Yeah, right. And yeah. my auntie B, mm-hmm. Jack's wife, would remonstrate. 
severely. Mm. And um, then I'd have the rest of the weekend with the cousins and the ponies. And it was great then. Yeah. Did you dread going back? To Melbourne? No, yeah, no, no, no. I adored my mother too. No, but I mean the journey back. Or was you just accepted? Oh, that's, no, that's he was, was usually sober on the way back. Sober so. on the way back. <laughs> Fair enough. So where did you go to school if you were living at Seven Collins Street? Well, I was three mm. when I moved in with mum in Brighton. Right. Um, in Victoria Street, and I have to tell you, it's the only house left standing. All the rest are apartment buildings and really? townhouses, and it was one street back from the Esplanade, so you can imagine it was... But, of course, in those days, property values weren't... No, not, yeah, e- not And Brighton right. was a bit out of it. It, well, was it was too far out of town. It was too far out of town. Yeah. Was, you know, but a... I grew up on Brighton Beach. What do you think of that? I think my mother was very neglectful because there were three boys, the Beckwiths, who lived opposite. Right. And the wife had done a runner with another man, leaving mm. poor Ken Beckwith, the rather distracted, vague sort of person who was their father, right. to bring them up. Mm. And they were very wild boys. And mm. mum used to let me go to the beach mm. with the Beckwith boys mm. from about the age of Probably four or five. Right. And their favourite thing was wait, waiting until I was in the middle of um, the Brighton Baths mm. and then they'd call out, look out, Robbie, there's a stingray. And do you know I still have nightmares about stingrays chasing yeah. me? Because <laughs> <laughs> stingrays don't chase you. But no, no. I didn't but, know but, that. But the, uh, yeah. How old? But the, I fell for it every time. Every time. Yeah. yeah and you just, oh, that's, sound, look, it sounds almost idyllic, doesn't it? It's just it so, was. And the, we had a way. bathing box, yeah. which yeah. now gets sold for more than most houses. And, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So you had one of those Brighton Beach bathing boxes. Yeah, we did. What colour? Oh, I can't remember. Can't remember. I think it was white with red mm. stripes or something. Mm. Did you? Did your mother uh, reform, uh, remarry, or anything? She oh be? yes. Oh, oh yes. yes. What happened? My mother was very beautiful, <laughs> mm. and in the family was known as the Bolter. The Bolter. Yeah. Right. Um, she had taken up with a young Dutchman mm. who'd been in Indonesia when the Japanese invaded. And unlike most Dutchmen, he wasn't hated by the locals at all, which no. says a lot. Says a lot for him. For yeah. him, and he was somehow sort of sneaked into East Timor, and the East Timorese hid him, mm-hmm. and then brought him to Darwin by boat. Right, right. So then he was a stateless person because by then, of course, the Germans had occupied the Netherlands. Yeah, we should have put him in Manus Island, I reckon. I reckon. Yes. Yeah, he would never have got out. <laughs> yes. And he moved in to Victoria Street, mm. Brighton, to stay with a very well-known artist who'd been a friend of his in the Netherlands. And who was that? Do you remember? His name was Reen Slagmolen. Mm-hmm. And he was a very cool dude, married to a beautiful woman called Prue, who mm-hmm. was Australian. Mm-hmm. And my mother was friends with Prue. So she met this handsome young Dutchman. And by 1950, 
two had mm. married him. So, so what was yeah. I? Six or something. Six, six or something. Yeah. Did, did you did you have any brothers and sisters? Five. Five. This is mm. after. Yes. Yeah. How many brothers and sisters? Five. Well, I five. mean, yeah. How many brothers? How many sisters? Four brothers right. and one sister. Oh, they could have looked after the Beckwood boys, couldn't they? If they annoyed you. Well, the Beckwoods. <laughs> Well, we moved from Victoria Street after. My grandparents didn't approve at all. Of what? The second Of marriage? the Dutchman. Oh, right. Um, the Dutch weren't well loved in Australia yeah, for yeah. various reasons. Presence, Who yeah. knows why? Yeah. And also he was Catholic. Oh. And my grandparents, I mean, it was the worst thing. No, it's the worst thing. Yeah. Oh, God. You could Catholic. Be, oh, I You could be it. anything but not Catholic. No, no, no. Well, I can understand your grandparents being upset. They were know? very upset and I mean, they tried to get custody of me. Did they? Mm, they thought not I the was... other kids, just you. You're in moral Well, the other danger. kids were the Dutchman's yeah, kids. Um, kids. They, wanted, yeah. they thought you were in moral danger, did they? Absolutely. Mm. So what happened? Did they get custody? Well, I stayed with them a bit. And then mm. the Dutchman started working in Australia for the Netherlands mm-hmm. consulate mm-hmm. and later was appointed as a diplomat and we ended up in Canberra and Canada and mm. in the Netherlands. And but did, did, did your grandparents approve? No, not never. at all. They no. never, ever never. got over it. Never no. got over it. Oh, no. I can imagine it be a... Horrendous to have a Roman Catholic in the yes, family, mate. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it's like having the devil. I think they were quite polite to him. Yeah, yeah. But you heard because they were well brought up. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but so, they they yeah, thought yeah. he was like yeah. evil personified. Yeah. Where'd you go to school? My first school was when I moved to Victoria Street. There was a little funny school. Towards the shopping centre in Brighton, I can't. Mm. I know exactly where it is, but I can't what, remember Middle which Brighton street. Yeah, Middle Brighton, and it was called Esperance, mm. and it was a very funny. Like I think in the literature, you'd call it a dame school. school there were right. little old ladies that ran it. Right. And my mother obviously it was a private school. Oh, absolutely. We wouldn't send you. Your family wouldn't have sent you to a public school. No, not in those days. No, no. and Thank um, Esperance took me when I was four. Mm. Because my mother couldn't bear having me at home because I disturbed the patients and, oh, right. um, yeah, mm. I was just a nuisance. And you, and you reminded her of your father, so, you know. Yeah, no, she no, oh, just couldn't. She, yeah. mum and I were very, very close. That's good. But um, she mm. thought I was the most beautiful of all her children, she kept telling me, but she told everybody that, right. I found out later, right. since she died. We've all swapped stories. <laughs> all the kids were the most beautiful. Yes, well, and most intelligent. Well, you can't blame her, can't you? No. She was keeping everybody happy. I think yeah. she was a good mother doing that. She was great. Yeah, she yeah. wasn't a bad mother. She was a good mother. Yep. So so you spent all your primary school in Brighton? No, no. no. Um, then Jan... Mm-hmm. My stepfather, the Dutchman, mm-hmm. um, was posted to Adelaide when uh-huh. I was about seven. That must be must have been a living death going to Adelaide. No, I don't know. Is that right? I thought it was quite an adventure. Mm. And from Adelaide, we lived in Adelaide for a few years and then um, moved to Perth. Mm-hmm. As he got more senior, he was running consulates. And, yep. and while we were in Perth, my... Second oldest brother mm-hmm. um, contracted polio. Right. And you might have heard of the book The Golden Age. Yes. Um, he was actually in The Golden Age right. as his rehab hospital. Mm-hmm. He was two and a half when right. he got polio. And he's still with us and doing mm. extremely 
amazing things. He's right. inspirational, actually. Could you explain to all those listeners who think vaccination is the devil's spawn, mm-hmm. what it was like when we didn't have a vaccine for polio? It was horrendous. My brother had caught polio at a kid's birthday party, I think two or three weeks before he actually contracted it. And I think four children from that party caught it. Two of them died. Mm. My brother has been severely disabled all his life. Not He wouldn't like me to say that because he's no. never considered himself disabled. No. But, but he's got calipers phys- and crutches and physical, then later... He's got physical limitations. He's paralysed from yeah. the waist down. Yeah, physical limitations, yeah. 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 And one of the most amazing things my mother... Mm did was never deny him the opportunity to do anything Mm -hmm. and she had high expectations that he would do an awful lot because he's Mm a very, very Mm -hmm. bright guy. Because I remember as a medical student in the early 70s, I think second year, going to this hospital in Brisbane where there was a bank of ventilators Mm -hmm. where people who'd been there 20, 30 years who contracted polio and were just basically... In these iron lungs. Iron lungs. Same here at Fairfield in mm. Melbourne. It's everywhere. So how long did you last in Perth for? <sighs> we went there in... We came back to Melbourne in 1956, so mm. maybe only three, two and a half, three so, years. So was Melbourne the end of the world? Isn't that when they did that famous film in 1956 in Melbourne? Well, to me, Melbourne was home. Mm. And then, of course, we moved to Canberra in the early 60s. So were you going to high school in Canberra? Yeah. I went to a very, very wonderful state high school called Tilopia Park High School. What happened? The family fall on hard times? No, it was... (laughs) Girls' grammar was um, for ladies, not for educational purposes. Purposes. Just for ladies, a finishing school. Yeah, and that was the only private school there. But... Uh. I think with six children, mm. even though by then my stepfather was a diplomat, mm. um, it was hard times. I mean, yeah. bringing up six children, and we had quite a good lifestyle mm. with horses. Mm. and yeah. yeah, so I think they were quite relieved that I quite wanted... I only did one year at Tilapia right. Park High School right. and made some lifelong friends. And was that your final year of high school? Or? It was. How did you go? How did I go? Mm. Well, given that I'd changed curriculums in my last year mm. and and had to take up new subjects, I went quite well. Mm, that's good. Two A's or B's? Or, yeah. No, I can't remember. So what year did you graduate? 60, oh gosh, 63, 60, Fifth. the end of 62. Mm, so the world was starting to change. Mm-hmm. How old were you, 17? No, I was a year younger because 16, my right. mother always told high schools and anywhere else I was taken along to be interviewed for a place yes. that I had to stay a year ahead of myself, myself whatever right. that meant, right. because I'd probably lose a year. Because yeah, right. I went to the school in, uh, school in the, the Netherlands mm. as well. When did that happen? Oh, that would have been... Late 50s, and so I was in the middle years of high school. What, was it a Dutch-speaking school? 
No, it was an international school. International school. Mm. So getting back to Canberra, you're 16, you graduate from high school. What's the world saying to you? I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, I was a very defiant and difficult teenager. I can't believe that. Yeah. I cannot believe that. Looking at you, you look like a demure elderly yes. person who wouldn't, yes. you know, wouldn't swallow her own saliva. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was a wild child, and yeah. my mother wanted to put me somewhere safe, right? But away from my stepfather because by then I was openly defying his rather Dutch right, um, right. Yep. Rule, rules and regulations, mm. and stealing his alcohol and cigarettes and. Sneaking boyfriends in and having oh. parties when they were away. And so my mother very wisely um, thought, well, what am I going to do with her? I know I'll send her to be a nurse. And she told me that I'd always said mm. I wanted to be a nurse. And strangely enough, I couldn't recall that at all. <laughs> and so when the day came for the interview, she said, oh, yes, when you were 12, you yeah. said that was your career choice. Uh, this is about like telling all the children. children. You know when you did vocational yeah. guidance yeah, yeah, in the yeah, old days? Yeah. Apparently the only things women got offered was yeah. nursing, secretary, yep. and she knew I wouldn't be a good secretary, no, and there no. was teaching. Teaching, yeah, yeah. And she didn't think I'd be a good no, teacher either. No, you couldn't either. smoke and drink in class. No. <laughs> Anyways, she, the funny thing was that, Hang on, hang on. Let's get back one step. She's a dentist. She would have mm. gone to university. No, I refused. I, I would later went to university, but, but at that stage, at that you, stage, I didn't you, want to do anything but, but, really. Right, right. Yeah. Um, wasn't at all depressed. I no. just didn't see why I should work or do anything really. No, fair enough. I so, needed a gap year, so, but you didn't get one. In those days, we didn't get a gap year, mm. did we? So you went to nursing, nursing hospital. Yeah, hospital. but the silly thing was, um, the day of my interview, I either forgot or was defiant and wouldn't go. I can't oh. remember the oh. actual scenario. And my mother went and was interviewed by the matron, and on the basis of that, I was accepted. Excellent. Isn't that bizarre? Well, well no, not really, not in those days. Anyway, she I... She said, oh, she's indisposed. She probably said that. She would have said, she's yeah. indisposed. And the matron would think, the poor young lady's having a period. Yes. That's the way it probably. was those way. They would have said yes. that. Your mother would have wandered in and yeah. said, my daughter's indisposed, so I'm here on her behalf. My mother in her hat and gloves. And <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can see it now. What a beautiful image. Anyway, I yeah. rocked up to um, the... Afternoon tea mm. um, when the new PTS class, we yeah. pre preliminary training school class, yeah, were yeah. starting and immediately made friends with the wildest and naughtiest looking person mm -hmm. who was a woman called Leone who was became a dear and beloved friend. And actually, I was much naughtier than her. She always got blamed for me because right. she was 19 and right. I was. Yes. Did she have red hair? She what? Did you have red hair? No. Well, you she, couldn't expect it to be as naughty as you then. She came from a huge Goldman family right. and um, she was very blonde, but I don't think that was her natural no. colouring. Oh, very don't. beautiful as well. Yeah. Gorgeous woman. So did you graduate? Oh, yeah. What hospital were you at? Canberra. Canberra Base Hospital? It was, what was it called? When I started, it was called... Canberra Community Hospital. Yeah, but then it became. And, and then the lake was built around it. Yeah. And, mm. and then it became. 
Is it Royal Canberra? Royal Canberra, mate. Yeah. I don't know. So how long did you last as a nurse? Not long at all. What's not long at all? A day? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually loved some parts of nursing, right. to my surprise. Mm-hmm. And um, But I married just after I'd graduated. You didn't marry a doctor, did you? A surgeon, yeah. Well, that's that's your life, but isn't I, it? Yeah, you know, I that, was, that was your destiny. Well, my mother <laughs> wanted me to marry a surgeon. So you mm. just did what your mother told you? Well, there'd been the love of my life who, mm. um, who was in Canberra because he was training at the Royal Military College and he came from New Zealand right. and he was Maori and my mother thought he was wonderful until the relationship became quite... Serious. Serious, So she started threatening me and talking. My mother was quite racist, Mm, mm. which actually... It was not unusual in those days. No, no. No, It was par for the course. Well, she'd married a Catholic. Yeah. I didn't want to get married, but she was very frightened and she took out a court injunction to stop me from going to New Zealand after he graduated and went back. How old were you? I was 19. And she could do that? You couldn't get married in those days until... And I was on a diplomatic passport, so I didn't have my own. Um, You couldn't get married or get a passport until you were 21. So I assume this relationship didn't last with the surgeon? Oh, with the surgeon, it lasted for 18 years. Oh, that's all right. And three children. That's good. That's pretty good, considering... That's very good. It wasn't, you know, your first choice. Yeah. You did very well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he he was a... Fantastic man mm. and a very, very brilliant surgeon. Mm. But it's difficult being married to a surgeon. It is. Up I don't know if you've ever tried it. but no, I've never married a surgeon. No, and we lived in England for yeah. six years and I did work as a nurse so, there. And he was doing all these uh, postgraduate work and yeah. getting experience. Fellowship. You had yeah. to do your fellowship at the Royal College of Surgeons, surgeons in England in, England in those right. days. It's yeah. very difficult because you're on call all the time. He was. Yeah. And we lived in the hospital grounds. Well, not in the grounds, but yeah, well, in, in a flat. In a pokey yeah. little flat. With, yeah. yeah. But I had a great time in England. Yeah. But I worked as a nurse because I needed to work at something. Oh. Why is that? Well, he didn't. He was earning occasionally mm. um, twenty pounds a week, right. and um, when he was studying, he wasn't working at all. No. So when did you come back to Australia? Ah, on the way back, there was an, an announcement on the ship that the Labor ship. had. Well, the ship. We decided to have a holiday oh, on right. the way back, that, and by yeah. then we had one child. Yep, my daughter. Mm-hmm. And she was a year old. Yep. She nearly died on that ship, actually, because it was a Russian ship and they didn't have many medications or right. um, they had a drunk doctor and that no. was about oh, that's, it. That's part and of the course <laughs> for a Russian doctor on a ship yeah. or any doctor on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, he nearly killed my daughter and the nurse saved her by wrapping her in mustard-soaked bandages and holding her like a mummy and mm. um, waiting until the fever Settled. blew itself away. So she didn't fit? No, she it's, didn't, no. That's good. That's excellent. Anyway, on the ship coming back, it was announced that Gough Whitlam had been elected. It's the end of the universe as we know it. Absolutely. And my husband, who I hadn't quite really been aware was certainly far from left-wing, mm. and I guess I had shown left-wing tendencies in one mm. way or another. Mm. Mixed marriage. 
Yeah, um, he very mixed, <laughs> muddled. Um, he announced that he was going to get off at the next port and go back to England. What? Mm. He Just didn't like that. do it. Yeah, he didn't do it, of course. No, but no. Labor winning. Yeah, it was the end of the end of the. Yeah, it was the end of the end yeah. of the world. But I'd been. I mean, I thought we were like-minded mm. because he knew about my anti-Vietnam Stance, stuff yeah. and. Mm. Um, being in jail a few times and jail, uh, yeah. What were you, uh, well, what, what were you in well, jail for? Demonstrating. But, yeah. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. There must be a specific charge. Oh, resisting arrest, kicking a policeman, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can understand. Right. Or dragging them. Were you just incarcerated for the night, or actually? Oh, sentenced? I was incarcerated quite often, and my oh. diplomatic passport. Yeah, and also the the um, stepfather mm. lived in dread that my name would get in the papers, so did, he'd did, always come and bail me out the next morning. Yeah, but you didn't you didn't have his surname, did you? I did have his surname. Oh, I can imagine it would have been a disaster <laughs> having you this little brat in jail yeah. all the time. But that was the end of my activism. So mm. yeah. So you get back to Australia, seventy two. What do you do? Mm. Well, I was a surgeon's wife. And well, you went to two I had parties. two more babies mm-hmm. and had lunch with ladies and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ended up living very grandly. And then I got a bit bored and related to my anti-Vietnam War demonstrating, I suddenly found myself getting a job as the first ever settlement officer for Southeast Asian boat people. That mm-hmm. I was the first funded position, and, and who, I was based fu- in Cabramatta. Who f- who funded that? The government, right? As a settlement service. This so is this the Labor government or Fraser government? Um, Would have been the Fraser government. By then, hmm. yeah. yes, just just, just. Yeah. yeah. What, what did you think about it? What did you think of the refugees who were coming across in those days? Well. My mother said there was a communist on every boatload. Really? But mm. I actually found the refugees that came delightfully sort of determined to yeah. do well. Yeah. And boy, did they do well. They're aspirational yeah. migrants. Yeah. And I was based in a mm. Cabramatta community organisation mm-hmm. and um, just loved the work. That's excellent. It's 4.32. This is oh, Radical good. Australia. Can we talk about something no, no, else ex- now? <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. I asked the questions. Oh, right. Okay, Robin. I know you've got a, a spirited past. I've got a mission. No, yeah, but, but we will get to the mission. Okay. I've done this before, Robin. Okay. You're I, watching I'm the I'm experienced. Clock. That's yeah. my job. That's why I sit here and you sit there. All right. But everyone likes talking about themselves, especially right. extroverts but I, like me. But, but I do I know, have a I, mission. But I do know when to cut you off. All right. Oh, right, okay. It's 4.32. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast for the next six to eight weeks by going to 3cr.org.au. And we're interviewing Robin Vote, who's just had a drink of water. And that was the idea of the community announcement, to give you a chance to refresh your larynx. Oh, good. Thank you. Now, all right? Yes. No, in, just just relax. <laughs> relax. Robin, <sighs> I know you've been a spirited filly all your life, but just relax. 
we're spirited here too. What you came for, we will talk about. Don't worry about it. If I don't, Andy will get on top. You know, he'll. Well, I'll have. He looks. He looks polite, doesn't he? I'll demand another half hour if he doesn't get onto this soon. Fair enough. I'll interview you. Yeah. 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 Andy. 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 Andy's a very, very strong-minded producer. I lie all the time. He's the most pleasant human being at 3CR. I can tell. It's disgusting. We've got people like him here, pleasant, polite, you know, effervescent, strong-willed. I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> I've never heard such things <laughs> come well, from your mouth, Joe. We, we talk behind your back, uh, Andy. That's the way it works yeah, here at 3CR. Right. Now, getting back to your life, Robin. So when oh. did the marriage end? Um, hmm. Emotionally or oh, no, no, no. in reality? In reality. I'm not interested in <laughs> I'm not interested in pursuing that yeah. rabbit warren. Right? Well my life as a refugee changed. settlement yeah. officer changed me mm. dramatically and I guess I took a turn to the left, which mm. if that was possible. And he felt very much that I was standing up for things that were in opposition to everything he stood for. Right. Um, because, of course, it wasn't just working with refugees. It was getting involved in that world and making friends and staying out and having meetings and, you know, committees and what, you've all stopped, sorts of... you stopped going to the orthopaedic surgeon's wives' tea party? <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, <laughs> oh I don't blame him. Yeah. Uh, obviously the marriage is going to go on the rocks. Yeah, well, it did. It did. And so... How did you feel about it? Well, I left. Oh, you <laughs> You made the decision. Well, like all women, yeah. they always say that women deal with the pain mm. and sadness and then make a decision. Right. Whereas men, they say, mm. are totally shocked That's and right. appalled. That's right. Well, they're shocked. They've got to and get appalled, somebody to do, like, how could you leave me? That's right. Some, um, they've got to get, like, find somebody else to do the cooking and You've got everything. Washing. Exactly. <laughs> how could you leave? Yeah, you've got everything and, you want. And I had three children. And how old were they under... Were they well, I think by the time mm. I actually left, mm. my oldest daughter was 13. Right. Then ten. So it's a very difficult and time. And then nine. Very difficult yeah, time. Yeah, my son was nine. Yeah, very difficult. Yeah. All right. Well, it was so pretty tough. It would have been very tough. And he was very angry. I can imagine. Mm. Be very not no, not horribly. No, well, but yeah. I mean, yeah. All right. So, 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 yeah. what did you do after that when you left? When I left, um, eventually, well, there was a bit of a deal happening where I was meant to stay in the family home. Right. But... He saw it still as his home, so he would walk in whenever and come and take the car or park his car in the driveway and I couldn't get out because his boat was moored at the bottom of the garden. So, well, so he'd go off all Sunday and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and leave me locked, mm. locked in. So it became very difficult. And then I started going out with somebody and, <sighs> yeah, and he'd just walk in this. and start yelling at this poor man mm. and um, it became very difficult so I announced that I was going to move to Canberra mm-hmm. because my mother and my stepfather had moved back to Canberra not retired but um, semi 
my mother was semi-retired and um, not that I needed her to look after the children or we weren't right. that sort of family no, at all. No. But it was a safety thing. Yep. I didn't feel very safe where I was. Right. So you went to live, what, you lived with your mum and no no, 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 I no, bought just, a house. Just bought a house. Yeah. Right. What year was that? That was 86. So how hard was it for a... Um, a single woman with three children to actually divorce one with three children to survive in Canberra in the mid-80s? Initially, very difficult. Mm. Because I'd never applied for a job that I didn't get because that was the way things were in those days. Mm. There were more jobs than there were people to fill them. And I was quite well known in refugee circles, so if I wanted to, well, you know, you Mm. you just moved around the place. and So I had never experienced unemployment. So I moved to Canberra, bought the house and got the kids into school and then started looking for a job and discovered that Canberra was a very, very closed little circle. And I started applying for jobs that barely interested me and being given the flick, you know, mm-hmm. not even getting a call back. I mean, you're only 40 then. It's not as if I was 38. Yeah, it's not as if at the end of your yeah. life. No. And... Then after about six months, it would have been six or seven months, I was suddenly offered two jobs on one day. So I ended up managing the Migrant Resource Centre in Canberra Mm -hmm. and did that for a few years. And then I went into the what was meant to be the Commonwealth Government, but then self-government happened simultaneously in Canberra. So I ended up in the Department of Health, And I did point out, well, apart from a bit of nursing way back then, um, I don't really have a health health portfolio or background. And they said, oh, never mind, in policy. I was about to write policy. policy. It's just policy. Anyone can write policy. So I actually then then, um, developed the healthy ageing policy in the ACT. Right. And um, then... um, got put on to the IVF policy. That was an interesting one because it was really in its infancy then. Right. Infancy, that's a good word for, for IVF. IVF, yeah. yeah. Tautology. Yeah. And, um, and I did a few other things, but I didn't last long at all in the public service. I couldn't stand it. You didn't wait for the 54 and 12, 11 months retirement package? No. You are no. a bloody idiot. I think I was there just over a year. Is that all? Yeah. Mm, so. so then I went and oh, I worked in Queenbian, which is Cinderella City outside yeah. the border. And a friend of mine was working for the local government there and he said, oh, come on, I'll find your job. So off I went and set up some emergency housing um, programs mm, and, mm, mm. Oh, and worked in in the home and community care program a bit and... Then I got a bit bored with that and I was, where did I go after that? I don't know. I've had, Doesn't matter. At my Doesn't age, matter. I've had so many jobs. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're, what, you're, you're, the, you're the postmodern pin-up girl. You know, they say that you're going to have all these jobs in the next 60 years. You've already done it. Yes. You're the model. <laughs> I <how> am. <laughs> so when did you come back to Melbourne? I was living on a farm mm. in southern New South Wales. Mm. Um, I couldn't think of anything more boring. It was fantastic. God, it'd be boring. Sunshine. I had grass, little ponies and ponies chickens and, and yeah. goats and So what happened? Yeah. And I was living there with the love of my life. Uh-huh. 
Well, he came back from New Zealand. Yes. Oh, that's lovely. And Hang on, I want to go back one step. What? So this was the same love of your life? Yeah. So how did you re-hook up pre-internet oh, days? well, he was a dumb troon mm. and they, the class that he was a member of, right. he remained very friendly. Ah, for the reunions. And, well, no, he nah. did come back for reunions, yeah. yeah. And, um, but, but one of my closest friends was married, a school friend actually, mm-hmm. married somebody from Ross's class, mm-hmm. and he, um, they remained very close friends. So I always knew where he was and he sort of knew where I was. It's strange, isn't it? Because you hear this over and over Do again. You? The story, you know, it's like mm. Prince Charles. Uh-uh. And his, 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 Nothing his... like her. No, 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 no. It's not about being like her. It's this thing, you know, that you've got this this thing for somebody. And but then, I didn't and then destroy life... marriages. No, like, no, I yeah. understand. I'm not saying it's the same. I mean, I mean, it's, I, mean I blame Queen Lizzie for all that. Mm. But, but getting back to it, you kind of got this really strong relationship and then life gets in the way and you never complete that journey. Yep. And you have completed that journey. Yep. yep. That, that is marvellous. Yeah. That is really marvellous. And my mother, before she died, said, oh, I guess you were right the first time round. Well, that's right. She was Queen Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she ruined your life. Yeah, she did. Yeah. No, she didn't. No, nah, she didn't ruin your life. I've been saying. very happy. Oh. She changed my life. But mm. I would never have married Ross and we wouldn't have lasted no. five minutes. He fought in Vietnam right. while I was throwing myself Some under under police cars, cars and things, yeah. Well, yeah, no choice. Well, he had a very proud career as an yeah, army officer. That's what I'm saying. That was his That was his. That was his, that was his job. That was his job. Now, getting back to you, so why did you give up this idyllic farm and come to Melbourne? Because another thing I learned from my mother, see, I mm. learned a lot... <laughs> Um, was that you had to make a new life after you, I retired when I was 69. Right. And I'd been doing a job I loved, mm-hmm. um, mainly Aboriginal health. And I decided to retire. And Melbourne was the only place I could even think of retiring. Canberra, I couldn't live in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney, no, no. 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 Melbourne is the place. Mm. And the other thing I did learn from my mother was that you have to do it before you're too old and cranky to do it because we tried to get her to move from the family home after my stepfather died. And she was just too old to do it. She couldn't bear the thought. And we called her place the mausoleum right. <laughs> because it was very cold. She thought mm. she'd run out of money, yeah. which she hadn't, but mm. no convincing mm. would enable us to turn on the heaters in right. the house. So she lived in one room mm. and she'd look out the window and say, oh, my dear, look at the garden. I can't bear it. I can't look. Pull the curtains. <laughs> and <laughs> I love her. I love her. And she died in that house. Ha- well, well, yeah, in fine. that house. But yeah. no, in the end, she couldn't drive. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was up a very steep hill, so she couldn't go out. And I think... So you decided, I reacted uh, very fiercely to that. You didn't want to emulate her end. Not at all. So you've come to Melbourne. You've been here yeah. two years. Since 19... Oh, 19. 2014. <laughs> That's three years. Three years, the, yeah. And I understand you've got caught up with some disreputable people here in Melbourne. Aha, uh-huh. yes. Who, 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 is it true that you've caught up... Somehow you've 
become involved with the West Papuan refugee community in Melbourne? I have indeed. How did that all start? It started because shortly after moving, I went to a concert at Footscray Community Arts Centre mm-hmm. and um, ran into a very charming and persuasive woman mm-hmm. um, called Louise Byrne. All right. And she said, oh, I'm just retired, are you? And what did you do in life? And... And she said, oh, you're going to be so bored. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to lie in bed and read for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, well, I'm, I'm part of this organisation and mm-hmm. um, maybe you'd like to come along. We have a women's office and mm-hmm. every Monday they meet. And so for a while I went to the women's office and then I thought, no, it's too... What, 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 what women's office? Well, it, it's part of the Federal Republic of West Papua. Mm-hmm. And it's the only established government office, really, um, outside West Papua mm. um, in the world. And it's, it's generously maintained rent-wise by a group called the Rent Collective, um, who you probably may have met, a few of the members. And well, as the convener of the West Papua Rent Collective, I think I know most of <laughs> Who are very interesting people. It was, see, I Uh, almost asked you a question. Almost, yeah. And um, Uh, it's a fabulous office. It's in a lifestyle, five-star energy rated building. It is is an unofficial embassy for the government. It is. It is an unofficial embassy. And people, you know, when we first got involved organising the Rent Collective, we had a choice of some dingy backyard office or something that was mm. they could bring mm. in overseas uh, representatives mm. and actually mm. entertain and talk to and negotiate with, and that was why we picked that office in Docklands. Hey, but, it's a statement. Yeah, it is a it's statement. It's a statement of yeah. pride and presence, yeah. and it, mm. it's, um, mm. it does a lot of good. So what are you doing with them now these days? Well, I didn't really last with the women's office right. very long because... Mm. It involved weekly meetings that seemed to go on for a hell of a long time. Mm. And I like all the women. Mm. I mean, they're Mm. amazing volunteers, West Mm. Papuan women Mm. and Australian Mm. volunteers, Mm. and they do some amazing work. Mm. So I started more getting involved helping organise events. And so, well, there's an open day three or four times a year, so I'd help with the logistics and then I did some probably fairly useless things because they're all activists like writing volunteers handbooks and office handbooks and because I'd been taught a lot of those bureaucratic sort of skills and bookkeeping and accounting. What are you doing now? Ah, somehow, not sure how, I ended up, well for the last three years I've been involved in Sampari what? Which is what? What? Sampari is the West Papuan name for the Morning Star, mm-hmm. and the Morning Star in Sampari is on the West Papuan flag, which of course the West Papuans are not allowed to fly That's right. in their own country. You realise that this Sunday, Andy will be here in the studio at four a.m., and as the sun rises in Ballarat, we will have the Southern Cross and the Morning Star together. Wow! Rising at five in yep. the morning. That'll be amazing. And it of is. Course, Every year I've seen it now for a number of years. But getting back to the Sampara, you've organised well, something for this year. What have you organised? It's 
for the last three years, it's been an art exhibition uh-huh. with associated public events because we've been blessed that the Australian Catholic University, the ACU, mm-hmm. allows us to use their gallery, which we could never have Afford, afforded. That's right. And that's for and three or four weeks, isn't it? it's a brilliant, well-located space. So where, where is the gallery? In Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, number 26. Brunswick. 26. Yeah. yeah. And what have you got organised there for this uh, this. Well, this as December. usual, we have... Well, no, no, um, we're not going to use the word as usual. That well, makes it sound an amazing Thank art you. exhibition. An amazing art exhibition. And yes. this year the art is um, more spectacular than ever. Excellent. We've been... Initially, I had a friend helping me coordinate, mm-hmm. and we did a huge um, artist call-out campaign. Right. And probably spread the word more widely because she is an artist and she's a very well-known person who gets about, out and about. Mm-hmm. And she um, knew all the places to send artists call out. So we've ended up with some very well-known artists, among them Lisa Warp, um, who's uh, an amazingly talented mm, mm. Um, Indigenous artist, mm. Guchamara, Torres Strait Islander mm. background. Mm. And um, she's entered a work. Um, another well-known person is um, Larissa McFarlane. Yes, I know. we know Larissa. Yeah. Do you indeed? Over 22 years I've known Larissa and I've not known her in the biblical sense. Well, I hope, I hope that... You're there for the opening I'm, I'm, because I'm Larissa to be will there. be. Larissa yeah, will I am be. In, I was speaking to Larissa about a week ago here at 3CR, so I, I intend to be there. So when is the opening? On the 8th. That's a Friday. That's a Friday. What time? Um, in a week at 6pm. Mm, it's going to be a tight schedule. We've got, we'll be going to the opening and then we'll be going to the 3CR. Christmas party. Well, there's also a Christmas party at 3CR, yeah, we're having on the 8th, but that's good, but I'll be coming to that. And Larissa's coming. Yeah. And so what, what type of artists, apart from anybody else you've mentioned? Oh, well, we've got 36 pieces of art. 36. And they're all inspired by West Papua. Mm. And the passion mm. behind every piece of art mm. is just extraordinary. People really believe mm. in freedom mm-hmm. for West Papua. Right. And they express that through their art. And they're not activists; they're artists, with a second, a second role as being activists for West Papuan freedom. How long's the exhibition last? It's lasting until the seventeenth of December, which is ten days. So ten days. And throughout those days, we have other events. Other events. Yes. Well, why would you have a space like that? Right. And hope that some. Art lover toddled in from time to time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a dual thing of using the space as much as we can, right? Because it's just such an opportunity. And it's a beautiful open space. It is and indeed. It's got cooking facilities in the it corner. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. And, and it's accessible to wheelchairs. Very, very. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it, it's the big bang of the year from the women's office point of view. Right. And so we've got poetry, debates. Poetry. Poetry, yes. Look, let's do it methodically. You've got the opening of the art exhibition All right. on the 8th. Yes. Starting at 6 and everybody's invited. Yeah. And, you know, you just walk in. You don't have to buy anything. Free wine and beer. Really? I may mm. stay a bit longer because I think I've got to pay for the one at 3CR. <laughs> All right. 
So. And then on Saturday the 9th, yeah. um, the Rent Collective is having their Christmas party. Yeah, look, uh, we are looking. We are in a desperate plight at the minute. We're looking for 20 new members, which we need within two months. So if you are interested in losing weight, mm-hmm. you can donate a dollar a day to the West Parkwood Rent Collective. Mm-hmm. You can actually upset the Australian government, the Australian opposition, the Indonesian government. You can promote West Papua independence and you can lose weight and, and have stop a lot smoking. Of fun. Yeah, and, and stop have smoking. A lot of fun. And you can stop smoking. Yeah. Because, you know, a dollar a day or is drinking. not much. Or drinking. It's not much at all. Mm. So why don't you just try before you buy? And I'm giving a general invitation to anybody listening to come to the Rent Collective Christmas Party. Which will be Start- starting at 1 pm yeah. on Saturday the 9th and in the gallery at 26. Brunswick Street. And there's catering? Absolutely. West Papuan food. That's right. The fish is delicious. It is, isn't it? Is that woman running the catering? Natalie, yes. Is she she's doing it famous. Again? She is. No, and Babuan. Both of them. Both of them are cooking. It's a huge undertaking. It is a huge undertaking because yeah. we hope to get about it. And thank heavens there. we've been blessed. The hot weather's going away. So I remember one year it was. Oh. The first time we held Sampari, the yeah. Christmas party was held in 30-something degree heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the 9th, and what's yeah. after that? On the 10th, there's mm. a very interesting event. Mm. Um, during Sampari, there'll be a separate space at the back of the gallery mm. for a World War II in West Papua exhibition. And Excuse me, hang on, hang on, hang on. We all know about East Timor. You mean... There were Australian troops in West Papua in... Yes, mainly Air Force and Navy, but right. there were Army people on the ground as well right. who fought with the Americans to oust the Japanese who mm. had mm. occupied West Papua. Mm. And what nobody realises, and certainly the West Papuans haven't been rewarded, mm. was the amount of support and loyalty that the West Papuans gave the Allied troops, troops during that to period. get rid of... The so, Japanese. So have you got any special guest speakers at this We opening? do. We've got two retired army officers and, most important, Jacob Rumbiak, mm-hmm. whose father was imprisoned by the Japanese during the Second World War. And he's going to... The storyline is how did the war go, what were right. the campaigns, how did they get rid of the bastards... Oh, sorry, the Japanese. Then the next part is how it affected... West Papuans. So that's a Sunday, the Sunday the 10th. What time Sunday does it start? Sunday the 10th. What time it's it starting start? at 1.30. Right. And what, what's anything else happening? Yes. What else? A debate. Oh. Should Australia support West Papua's oh. independence? When's that? That's on Wednesday the 13th. What oh. time? Six till, nine, uh, till eight. Six to eight. And yeah, you've got some gung be... debaters from the Melbourne Debate University. And debater. the Rent Collective. No, there's only one member of the Rent Collective. Oh, it's really? Yeah, the rest are yeah, they shoe ins. Oh, yeah, okay. it'll be all right. I understand the Rent Collective is arguing against West Papua independence. They are, isn't that hilarious? Yeah, well, that's exactly. I yeah. actually argued fiercely against the mm. Rent Collective being put in that position. Oh, no, but no, Michael can handle himself. They're I, smarter. Yeah, well, I've, I've I've given Michael a bit of a hint today. It's all yeah. right, Mister Dora, he'll sort it out. And what's yeah. next? The next thing is the Venus Forum. It's, Venus Forum. Is it this? sounds very iffy, doesn't it? It does. But yeah. it's Stories of the Morning Star, right. and it's from a very scientific and poetic right. perspective. And have you got any guest speakers? Yes. 
Um, a number of them, yeah. I understand yeah, there's a few experts yeah. about the galaxy. Somebody, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because the Morning Stars is so central to the West Papua Independence mm, Movement, mm. the fact that it's on the flag. Yep. And the fact that people have died raising that flag, they've been shot. Mm. So uh, it'll be a good forum. When's that on? That's on Thursday the 14th and from 6 till 9. Is that it? No. On Friday the 15th, spoken word, poets inspired by West Papua. And that's also from 6 till 8. Right. And on Saturday, the biggest party of all, mm. the Melanesian Culture Day from 1 till 4. That's where What day is that? What day? Saturday the 16th. Right. And, and where is it all this happening again? 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. And if people want to look it up on a net, is there any... any Probably the best thing I can do is Mm. um, steer them... Not everybody loves Facebook. No. Sampari Exhibition. If they've got the net... How do you spell Sampari? S-A-M-P-A-R-I. Exhibition on Facebook. And even if they Google that, there'll be links to... It'll all be there. Yeah. And is there any... People haven't got Google or they haven't got, you know, that crap... Have you got a uh, phone number or something people can ring? Yes, they can ring me because really? I'm the coordinator. Yeah, and what's that number? 0413 802 612. And my name's Robin. Vote. Vote, yes. That's right. Well, Robin, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And as you noticed, we finished on time. You've told us everything you want to tell you and you didn't have to look at the clock. No, so, so but thank I you. didn't get to ask you a question. That's the whole point. So thank you very much. We've thank been honoured to have you here uh, in the studio. I've been honoured to be here. Thank no, you. No, no, no. We've been honoured to have you. And I'm glad, uh, you know, that you shared uh, a lot of your life, listeners. And uh, all I can say is for a woman who threw herself under cars and trucks during the anti dinner <laughs> I'm well preserved. She's very well preserved. <laughs> That's all I can say. So activism is the key to a good, healthy lifestyle. It is indeed. Exactly. Thank you very much, Robin. Thank you very much, Andy. No worries. You're listening to 3CR Radio.